We're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. John's Gospel in the 14th chapter. And we're going to read a bit together, but before we do, I want to make a few comments to help orient us to this particular passage of Scripture. When we come to the New Testament, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of these Gospels are are written by different authors, and so each has a flavor of its own. And as we come to John's gospel, we see that the theme of this gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who reveals the Father. And in the first first half of the gospel of John, we see Christ revealing himself as the Son of God, revealing the Father primarily through miracles or signs as they're called in this gospel. And then the second half of the gospel, we see our Lord giving instruction to his followers as he makes his way toward the cross. And John 14 is in the midst of this section of scripture, sometimes called the farewell discourse. Because in this this section of scripture, we see our Lord giving to his closest companions his parting words. Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet. And in so doing, he had given them an example to follow. He had commanded them to love one another. And then he shares with them some distressing words. He says, I'm going to leave. And the place to where I am going, you can't follow me. And one of you is going to betray me. And one of you will deny me. And the disciples were no doubt shaken by these words from their Lord. And and characteristic of the disciples up to this point, they didn't understand. They didn't fully comprehend the things that their Lord told them was going to happen. And their hearts were troubled. They were in need of comfort. And as we sit here this morning, no doubt many of us are troubled. Our hearts are heavy for a variety of reasons. Yes, we're trusting in the Lord. Yes, we believe his word is true when he says that he's working all things for good. And still we're troubled because life is hard. Our hearts are anxious about many things and we find ourselves, like the disciples, in desperate need of the words of Christ this morning. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that troubled hearts are comforted by remembering the promises of God. And this is the main point that we're going to see in John 14 this morning. Troubled hearts are comforted by remembering the promises of God. So will you stand with me, please? We're going to read from John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read all the way through verse 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself 
that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You can be seated. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, and we are like your disciples. We're in desperate need of you, so come and be our teacher this morning. Open our minds to understand. We pray in Christ's name, amen. In these first verses of of John chapter 14, we see comfort we see comfort from God, and, and his instruction there is, do not be troubled. Do not be troubled. Jesus is coming again. Do not be troubled. Jesus is coming again. Verse 1 opens with these words, let not your hearts be troubled. And here we see instruction that's found throughout Scripture. We just finished, as a church, we just, we just finished the book of Joshua. And if you go back to Joshua chapter 1, And verse 9, we hear these these familiar words. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But in John 14, the words of the Lord to his disciples, they may sound a bit shocking. After all, he, he had just told his disciples he's going to leave. And where he's going, they couldn't go, at least now. And one of them was going to betray him. And then those words to Peter, you're going to deny me. Three times you're going to deny me, Peter. Nevertheless, the Lord's command holds, let not your hearts be troubled. Rather, believe. Believe that what I say I will do, I will do. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go away. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and bring you to myself. Our Lord says he's going to prepare a place in his Father's house, and in this place there are many rooms, 
many rooms. This, this word is just found one other time, and it's just a few verses down here in John 14. There in verse 23, it says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so we get, a, we get an idea here of, of how this word room and home should be understood. It speaks of the Father and the Son coming and making their presence known among believers. The place for, for believers is to be in God's presence forever. It's to have unhindered fellowship with the Lord who redeemed us. Christ made a way for us by going to the cross and then rising from the dead. And in so doing, he secured our eternal access in the presence of the Father. He says, I'm going away, but I will return. I will return, but you can, you can almost feel, as you, as you read through this chapter, you almost feel the confusion, the anxiety of these, as these disciples. These were distressing words. You're, you're, you're going to go away? Have you ever had to tell, tell a little child, maybe, maybe one of your own, You've got to move, go over here and, and run an errand. And so you, you tell the little one, you stay right here with your brother, right? You stay right here. Mom or dad, we're, we're going to go right over here. I've got to pick up a few things, but I'll be right back. And you watch their face, right? You see the, the distress that comes over their face and maybe the tears that well up in their eyes. They start to process this reality that mom or dad is going to go away and they're not going to see you for a time. Here are the disciples of the Lord Jesus. They're distressed. These disciples had left everything to follow him, and now he's going away? Lord, we don't understand. They'd been living with their Lord for several years now, daily observing him, learning from him, watching him, eating with him. If you've been, if you've been involved in, in sports at all, Maybe some of you have to go way back to remember this time, right, where you, you were on a team and uh, you, you practiced with these, these others on the team, right, and you sweat together and you worked together and you won together and you lost together and you saw, you saw one another's strengths and one another's weaknesses and you saw that during this time you were, you were developing this deep friendship with those on the team. There was a camaraderie, that, this, this friendship that was built, a relationship that was established. Those who have served in the military can attest to something similar. You, you find yourselves in extreme circumstances with others. And there's a bond that's built there. Right? Or maybe you've gone on a work team. Right? And you find yourself in unfamiliar places with, with a few familiar people. And you get up early in the morning and you enjoy a meal together. And then you go out and work. And you come back and you enjoy some more, some more food and some time together. And over the course of the week, you, you're amazed, right? There's this bond that's built. Or maybe it's something that you've done just as a family. And you see this, this relationship that's, that's being built. How kind of God to give us relationships. And if we've experienced this, how much more so the disciples with their Lord. Day after day, they had lived with him. And now he was going away, and the disciples are troubled. The Lord promised to return, however. 
And what the Lord Jesus says he will do, he will do. Jesus is going to go away, was going, but he will return. He will return for his own, and here is hope for the believer. There is hope for the believer. We have confidence that our Lord will return for us. Do not be troubled. Jesus is coming again. What's significant about the return of our Lord? Many things. And we could talk about uh, when the Lord returns, he's going to mete out judgment on those who have rejected him. And he's going to make the wrongs right. Or we could talk about, and rightly so, how our Lord is going to make all things new. But here in the Gospel of John, the focus seems to be on the dwelling of the Lord with his people. The very presence of God, a theme that we see all throughout Scripture. God dwelling with his people. We go back to the book of Exodus. And there in Exodus, God instructs Moses to instruct his people, the Israelites, they were to build a tent, a tabernacle. And in that place, there was going to be the most holy place. And God's presence was going to dwell in a special place there, in the Holy of Holies. And so God's presence would be among the people. And then we remember Solomon as we work our way through the scripture. And we see Solomon building this this temple. And there the Lord's presence would dwell in the Holy of Holies. This pointed ahead then. Ultimately, our Lord Jesus, who came in the flesh, and those familiar words of John 1.14, the word that is Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. Here we see the continuity of the scripture, God dwelling with his people. Christ came as a man and dwelt among man. And here in John 14, Christ had been dwelling with his disciples. But he was going to go away. But he encourages his followers, telling them, I will return. And upon his return, he will gather his own. He will gather his elect and take them to be with him forever. And in that place, every believer will enjoy unhindered fellowship with God. In his glorious presence for all eternity. We can say in in one respect, we are, all who are in Christ Jesus this morning, are experiencing the presence of God now. We're going to unpack that a bit more in just a little bit. But during our time on the earth, while we're enjoying the presence of God, our fellowship with him is still marred by the fall. We struggle in our flesh, and this hinders our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. We find ourselves, along with all creation, groaning, waiting for the full redemption of our bodies when Christ returns. But knowing that Christ will return in the future gives us comfort in the present. Because we know that this life isn't all. There is a glorious future ahead for all who are in Christ Jesus. 
we recognize that the struggles of this life will only be with us here. And while we don't minimize our struggles, it gives us a perspective. It gives us an eternal perspective. It's why Paul could write in Romans 8, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. We don't minimize the struggles of this life. The sickness, the death of loved ones, the pain we feel when those whom we love dearly are walking away from the Lord, the daily battles of our own flesh, the seduction of the world, we don't minimize them. As we watch others being mistreated and harmed, we hurt with them. So we don't minimize them. Rather, we remember the words of our Lord in John chapter 16 and verse 33 where he says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he's going to take us to himself and we will dwell in his presence forever. John, who wrote this gospel, also wrote Revelation. And near the end of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 3, he says these words. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We shed a lot of tears in this life. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Is it any wonder that David could write in Psalm 16, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so by God's grace, we set our hope on Christ and we believe him. We trust him. We believe that what God has said he will do and what he's going to do is return. He's going to return and take us to himself. But we're here. We're here in this place. How is it that we can experience the joy of the presence of of God in this life. Even as we anticipate unhindered fellowship with him for all eternity. Well, the answer comes in the verses that follow. The second point we see here, do not be troubled, the spirit dwells in you. Do not be troubled, the spirit dwells in you. Look with me at verse 15. In verse 15 we read, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Who is this helper that Jesus promises will be in his disciples? The first thing we may notice here is that this this word translated in the ESV as helper has also been translated counselor, 
advocate and comforter. The point being that it's, it's difficult to capture just in one, one word a full description of this promised helper, the Holy Spirit. But we can look at the verses that follow here and, and, and begin to gain an, an understanding of, of who the Holy Spirit is and what are some of his ministries in our lives. We can begin with the verses we just read, and there we see that the helper, the Holy Spirit, is called the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. And that he indwells believers. That is, he lives inside believers. This indwelling would come about at Pentecost. And then from that day forward, everyone who trusts in Christ is is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We can look a few verses uh, down here in John 14 and verse 26 and read, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Helper will teach his disciples and he will bring to their remembrance all the words that Christ had instructed them. This would be comforting to his disciples Jesus was going to go away physically, but his spirit would come and indwell them and teach them and remind them of all the things that he had told them. In this context, we note that this was addressed specifically to those disciples. The spirit of Christ would come and and explain, help them to understand what had been taught. The fruit of which is this book we hold in our hands, the inspired word of God, the scripture. But for all who are in Christ, the spirit dwells within us. And he opens our minds to understand. To understand his word. He brings to our remembrance the truths of the word. A third passage, John 15 and verse 26 But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth from who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so we see that the Spirit will will bear witness or, or testify about Jesus. The Holy Spirit who indwells believers, he indwells and he testifies to our hearts of the beauty, of the glory, of the greatness, and of the supremacy of Christ. This is the work of the Spirit. When we delight in serving others, when we delight in seeking to imitate our Savior as we lay down our lives for others, we can say that the Spirit is at work in our hearts, testifying to us of the beauty of Christ. He reminds us of the way that Christ lived. He stirs us up to follow him. This is the ministry of the Spirit. And as the Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to behold Christ, our love for Christ increases and we're conformed to his image. Is this not comforting for our troubled hearts today? At times, maybe often, we feel discouraged 
We feel discouraged in our walk with Christ because, because our progress toward greater Christ-likeness seems slow. But this truth, that the Holy Spirit indwells believers and he's continually testifying of Christ in our hearts and, con- and conforming us to Christ warms our hearts with hope and stirs our affections for him. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. A fourth passage, John 16 and verse 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. The Spirit guides his disciples. So we've seen in just these few few passages, the Spirit indwells. He teaches. He brings the teachings of Christ to mind. He testifies about Jesus. He guides his disciples into the truth. And we could look elsewhere and learn that the Spirit also convicts the world. He intercedes for believers He regenerates, he sanctifies, he seals, and he strengthens, and more could be said. Here is comfort for the troubled heart. Do not be troubled. The Spirit dwells in you, believer. Though absent physically, the Lord would be present through his Spirit, so his followers would never be alone. Lest we think that we are alone. It would have been comforting again for the disciples to hear these words. In the midst of their confusion about the events that were about to take place, Jesus tells them, I will send to you another comforter. He will be with you forever. And we, like those disciples, are comforted knowing that God is dwelling in us and that he won't leave us. We often talk about the Great Commission These words of our Lord are powerful. In in the end of Matthew 28, he says, And behold, I am with you always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. There is joy for us knowing that our Lord dwells in us. In his spirit and through his spirit, he's, he's equipped us to deal with the complexities of life. Difficulties in relationships. The Spirit guides us into the truth. Enduring intense trials. What does the Spirit do? He he reminds us of the truth. He brings to mind the Scripture. He is our comforter. In our struggle, our own personal struggle against sin... We struggle to gain victory over the sin that we've been battling for years. The Spirit is at work encouraging us and giving us strength in the battle. Perhaps you're thinking even now of a time where you've experienced the comforting presence of God in the midst of intense suffering. We've watched brothers and sisters in our own church Endure intense difficulty, intense suffering, 
and praise the Lord in it. This is the work of the Spirit. It's encouraging to remember God's faithful presence in our own lives and in the lives of one another. Other saints who have experienced the comforting presence of the Lord. And one of those saints is is John Patton. John Patton was a a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific in the mid-1800s. And these islands were inhabited at that time by cannibals. These cannibals took took part in some, uh, some awful atrocities, infanticide and widow sacrifice. Patton's life was, was often in danger, and yet he pressed on with unremitting faithfulness, trusting in his Lord. John Piper writes about Patton's life in this, in this book called Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ. Piper writes, One of the most powerful paragraphs in his autobiography describes his experience of hiding in a tree at the mercy of an unreliable chief as hundreds of angry natives hunted him for his life. What he experienced there was the deepest source of Patton's joy and courage. And then he quotes from Patton's autobiography. Here's what Patton says. Being entirely at the mercy of such doubtful and vacillating friends... I, though perplexed, felt it best to obey. I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me And speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. If thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? God's comfort for troubled hearts includes the promise that the Holy Spirit dwells in believers. All who by God's enabling grace turn from sin and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, receive the Spirit. And though in this life we may feel lonely, we are never alone. We're never left without a guide, without without a helper, without an advocate who intercedes for us. And so what do we do? What do we do? We draw near to God. We draw near to him through the Spirit. We pour out our hearts to God. In the midst of your distress, pour your heart out to him. Tell him all about it. And when you're too distressed to speak, trust that the Spirit will intercede for you with groanings too deep for words. God's comfort for the troubled heart is the indwelling of his Holy Spirit.
Third, and finally, God's comfort for troubled hearts includes the promise that Jesus gives you peace. Do not be troubled. Jesus gives you peace. As this section closes then, Jesus reminds his disciples that the Father will send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit will teach and will guide them. As Jesus prepares to depart, he, he speaks these words of comfort. Look again at chapter 14, now at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What is this peace that the Lord refers to here? Note first that it's different. He draws a distinction between this peace and the peace of the world. In the minds of these first century ears, those who would have first heard these words or, or read these words, the, the peace that Rome brought would be in their minds. And often the peace of the world comes through military conquest. Right? Peace comes through violence. The peace of the world is often circumstantial. It comes and it goes, and ultimately the world cannot give peace. We think of the Old Testament prophets who say there are some who, who cry, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But the peace of the Lord is different. This peace that Jesus brings does not come through warfare, at least physically. And this, while this is true, we, ha- we have to note also that the peace that Jesus gives does not mean the absence of trouble. In chapter 15, he would tell the disciples that the world hates them. He tells them, the world hated me and they're going to hate you. The world will hate you. The history of the church testifies to this reality that the peace that believers enjoy is not the absence of trouble. And we lead ourselves astray by thinking that once we come to Christ, all of our troubles will simply fly away. Jesus prayed for his followers. In John 17, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This place where there is trouble and turmoil and pain, he says, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them ultimately from the evil one. The peace of Jesus is that he will give us comfort and keep us and enable us to stand in the midst of adversity. He doesn't promise to remove us from every difficulty, but he does promise that he will be with us in the midst of the difficulty and that he will never leave us. Paul says this is peace that surpasses our understanding. This peace is a calm confidence of God's unfailing love no matter the circumstance. And we can enjoy this peace of God peace of Christ because we have peace with God. Peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is true peace. This is peace that every human heart is longing for and yet in our fallenness rejects. But if we're in Christ Jesus through faith, 
We have peace with God. And we don't have to fear his wrath. Because our condemnation has been removed. We've been delivered. Peace with God is an objective reality. Peace with God. If we have peace with God, then the words of our Lord ring true when he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In Christ Jesus, our greatest fears have been relieved. And so we think about the many things that trouble us. Do we fear death? Do we fear judgment? Those who are in Christ Jesus are comforted by the words of the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 and verse 14. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ has defeated death and has delivered us. We need not fear death. We need not fear judgment. Do we fear people? Seeking one's approval, fearing the rejection of others. If you're in Christ Jesus, be comforted by the words of David in Psalm 27 when he says, The Lord is my light. We sang of it this morning. He's my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Often we're fearful in our circumstances, we're fearful of the future. But those who are in Christ are comforted by the words of the Apostle Paul right? in Romans 8. These familiar words, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. God is at work in our lives for our good and for his glory. Do we fear that God's love for us will fail? Again, Romans 8 and 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God did the greatest by giving his own son, he does the greater. Will he not do the lesser and keep us? This then is how we do battle. We do battle against the doubts that flood our mind. We remind ourselves of Scripture. We remember the promise of God that Jesus gives peace. Those who trust in Christ are at peace with God. They experience the peace the Spirit brings. Our troubled hearts are comforted this morning as we remember this truth Jesus gives us peace if you're not currently experiencing the peace of Christ the gospel says that though we have sinned 
Christ has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. We turn from our sin and put our trust in him and we can experience the peace of Christ. Some 2,000 years ago, a, a group of men gathered together in this room in a room there, and they listened intently to the words of their Lord. And their hearts were troubled by the news that he was going to go away. One would betray him, and one would deny him. But the Savior spoke words of comfort to their troubled hearts. He taught them that he would come again, that his Spirit would indwell them, and that he would give them peace. These promises are not only for those disciples. They're for us today. We who are often troubled and distressed by our circumstances and by this life. And by God's grace, we believe his promises. And we serve him faithfully, looking to the Spirit for strength as we anticipate his glorious return. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your kindness. In your mercy, you've given us your spirit. And we confess that we, we're just like the disciples. We're often troubled. And we, we don't understand our circumstances. And so we ask for your help. Will you help us this week to rest in your promises that Christ is coming again, that your spirit dwells in us, and that in Christ we may have peace. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.